How is everybody this morning? So if you haven't noticed already, we're going to do things a little bit different today. I think that should be my catchphrase from this point on. I feel like we're always going to be doing things a little bit different. We're going to change up the order of service today. Just for today, don't panic. <laughs> I see everybody starting to get a little bit nervous. This is a temporary thing that I want to do just for today for this service. Um, so if you're somebody who doesn't like change, if you don't, if you like things the way they are, don't worry. We're going to go right back to normal the way they were uh, next week. Um, but I, my hope is that you'll kind of understand why we're doing this today. And I hope uh, my prayer is that it's going to be meaningful and beneficial to you all uh, and not just change for the sake of change. Um, why don't we go to God in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you've brought us together to read your word, to get to know you. God, we're grateful for this sunny weather. We ask that you would help to, to keep bringing spring. I know that they say that a, a, a rodent somewhere tells us there's more winter, but we know you, you know more than a rodent, God. So we just ask that you would help bring, bring spring. Um, and Father, I ask that you would be with us today as we dive into your word as we try to understand what it is that you have to tell us. We ask that you would open our hearts to your message. We ask that you would give us the strength and courage we need to apply your word to our lives. God, I ask that you would be with me, that you would make my words clear and concise so that uh, your word would be delivered faithfully. And I ask that you would be with all of us as we, as we study your word. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. And the church said, amen. All right, so we're in our Pyramids series in the book of Exodus. I'm really loving this series. I, I hope everyone else is. It's a book that we don't always read very often, so I hope it's beneficial. Last week, God told us this amazing story about how he delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea. And if you want to know exactly where that is, talk to Terry. She's got a map. She'll tell you exactly where they crossed. Um, but God's people were surrounded on all sides. They had nowhere to run. They were hemmed in against the sea with the Egyptian army coming down on them, and they were terrified. They even lashed out at Moses at one point. They said, how could you do this to us? Were there not enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us out into the desert to die? But despite all of that, God sent a strong east wind he blew the water back, and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And the Egyptians chased after them, only to have God release the waters on the Egyptians, drowning them in the sea. That's where we left off last week. And at the very end of Exodus chapter 14, we get this picture. It says, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on their right and left, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. A lot of times when I, when I try to present scripture, when I try to prepare a message, I always, I'm always thinking to myself, how can I present this in a way that's going to make it come to light for you? How can I give you the knowledge you need, the perspective, to help you really understand God's word? My goal is to help you feel like you were there. And then I get, I get to verses like that, and 
And really, God's word kind of stands on its own, doesn't it? There's no way I can describe that that's, that's not going to paint a picture in your mind that's, that's not already there. So I want you to, but I want you to take a minute. I want to close your eyes and imagine that for a second. I want you to imagine, put yourself there. Imagine how terrified you might have been. The Egyptians are coming after you. You're almost certain that you're going to die at the hands of the Egyptians. I want you to imagine how dumbfounded you must have felt as you were walking on that sand with a wall of water on your left and your right, and the wind is blowing in your face. What are you thinking to yourself at this moment? I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die. I know I'd probably be thinking, is this real? There's no way that this is really happening right now. Is this a dream? Imagine maybe you're at the front of the line and you look up ahead of you and you just see nothing but wind and storm blowing that sea. And you turn around and you look behind you and you see upwards of two million people behind you. That's uh, Exodus 12, 37, by the way. They said there were 600,000 men plus the women and children. That's more than the entire state of Nebraska. That's how many people were there. And you get to the other side, you finally step up onto the shore, and you're probably a little bit disoriented, and you're, you're standing on the shoreline, and you're waiting for all your cousins and your brothers and sister and all of those people to get across. And the last person steps up onto the shore, and there's this brief moment of silence when the wind stops. Very brief. There's a split second where it's completely silent before those waves just crash down millions and millions of gallons of water. Imagine how loud that would have been. As you're imagining this in your mind, I want to ask, when is the point that you would have realized, that you would have come to the realization that this is really happening? When is the moment where you realize this was real? And the people who were trying to kill you just moments ago are gone. They're washed up in the water. What would be the first thing you said? What would be the first thing you thought? What would be the first thing you turned to someone and said after all of that had happened? Thank you, Lord. You know what they did? You know what the first thing that came out of their mouth was? It was a song. They sang to God. That was the first thing that came out of their mouth was a song. That's how overjoyed they were that God had delivered them. And so that's what we get in Exodus chapter 15 that we're going to read today is a song. This is the very first song in the Bible, by the way. And we see examples of music in Scripture all throughout the Bible. We usually think about, what's the one book that we think about that's full of songs? Psalms, yeah. We always think about Psalms as being the place where all the songs are. But if you look through Scripture, there are songs in the law and in the books of Moses. There are songs in the books of Judges. There are songs in First uh, and Second Samuel and Kings. We find songs in the prophets. We find songs... In the accounts of the gospel, there's even places in Paul's letters 
where we think that he's actually quoting a song, song lyrics. That's how important singing is to us as Christians, because it's all throughout Scripture. And so what I want to do today, I want to take a look at this song we get in Exodus chapter 15. And I want us to be at the point where we can sing to God with the same level of excitement that they sang. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna read through the, the entirety of this song. And and for the this is the, the only time you're ever gonna hear me say this. I don't want you to take notes. If you're a note taker, if you're a scribbler, I want you to stop. Put your pen and your highlighter down. I want you to focus in on this song that they sing, and I want you to put yourself there and try to imagine what it had been like to be in this moment to sing this song to God. I want you to try and picture what that melody might have sounded like. We don't know what the melody was like. I want you to try and hear what two million people singing praises to God on a shoreline would have sounded like in your mind's eye. So I just want to read all of this, and then we can go back and talk about it, and we can, and then you can take notes. But I want you to experience this. So this is Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, you stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish, anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. 
the Lord reigns forever and ever. Then we get a little break. And it says, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels dancing. Miriam sang to them. Okay, so I want you to imagine this is all the women now with, like, tambourines, kind of. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So what I want to do is think about how powerful that song is. It honestly gives me goosebumps when I think about it. Just how powerful it was that they were all singing that. And now I want to take a chance and actually look at the scripture there and see what we can learn from it. So I want to go back. And, and the first thing that I noticed in that song, the first thing that really jumped out to me is verse 2, where it says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Notice that there's a lot of me's and my's and I's in there. That's a very personal thing to sing because we have a personal God. The kind of God who cares about you and you and you personally. And this is their way of saying, each person individually saying, I am going to sing this song directly to you. That's how personable of a relationship we see here. When's, when's the last time you just sang personally to God? Where you just sat down and said, you know what, God, I want to sing you a song. Just you and me. My, my guess is not very often. That's not something I've ever really done. But, you know, after reading this passage, it's kind of something I want to start. I want to start singing to God like it's just me and him. I want to serenade God. That's a very intimate moment. You don't, you don't just sit down with somebody and sing a song directly to them unless you have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with them. Unless you have enough trust and faith in that person to bear your soul to them. That's the kind of relationship we should have with God that we should feel like we can give him the worship he deserves, which is us pouring our hearts out to him. When you say, God, your grace is so amazing, just the sound of it is sweet. That you saved a wretch like me, a wretched sinner, me, personally. And not only to sing it to God personally, but to believe it, to really feel it in your heart. And so I want to ask you, as we, as we sing songs today and as we sing songs in the future, do you really believe that God's grace is amazing when you sing Amazing Grace? Do you feel it? And if you do, how do you show it? The other thing that really stuck out to me is the very next verse. Verse 3 says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. 
So not only do we have a personal God, but we have a God who is a warrior, a God who fights for us. That's not, that's not a way we usually think about describing God, is it? As a warrior? But it, it paints this picture in our mind, doesn't it? Because very, you, you think of very different things when you think of a warrior as opposed to a soldier, don't you? Do you imagine two different things if I say the word warrior or I say the word soldier? I know I do. A soldier does his job, but a warrior is someone who's valiant and noble and worthy of praise. A soldier stands in the ranks, but a warrior stands on his own and defeats his enemies. But you know what kind of warrior God is? Here's the beautiful thing about it. Check this out. I want you to turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah. This is a very tricky one to find. I will be completely honest. I sometimes miss it. The fastest way to find Zephaniah is go to Matthew and go backwards. And then what's going to happen is you're going to hit Zechariah and you're going to think that that's where we're supposed to be and you're going to be way confused. Keep going. We want the other Z until you get to Zephaniah. If you get to Habakkuk, you've gone too far. And that happens to me. I have a hard time finding Zephaniah, so don't feel bad. This is Zephaniah chapter 3. I want to start in verse 14. It says, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud Israel. So we're getting this command again to sing. It says, Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. And then verse 17 is so cool because it, it calls God a warrior again. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that cool? You know what happens when we sing to God? He sings back. He rejoices over us with singing. The same warrior who fights for you stops what he's doing to sing over you. I love the story in, in Luke where Jesus says that there's more singing and more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who was saved than of 99 who are not. When we're faithful to God, there is a chorus in heaven singing over us. That is cool. And then we get back in Exodus, after the Israelites have declared that God is their warrior, that God fights for them, we get verse 11. I want to read verse 11. It says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, 
awesome in glory, working wonders. I want to talk about this first because at first glance, this seems just like more praise to God, doesn't it? God is majestic. God is holy. God is awesome. But, But read it one more time. Who among the what is like you, Lord? Who among the gods? That's not a good thing to sing, is it? Now, you might be just saying, well, maybe this is just a figure of speech they were using. Maybe they were, maybe the Israelites truly didn't believe in multiple gods, right? And and if it weren't for the fact that in like three chapters, the Israelites literally melted down all their jewelry and were worshiping a cow, I would be willing to believe that they didn't actually believe in multiple gods. That's a problem. We have to come to terms with the fact that at this point, they're praising God, they love God, but they have no idea who he is. They don't understand who God is. They have a false notion as to who God is. They had been living in Egypt for 430 years, worshiping all of the false idols of the Egyptians. They didn't know any better. They hadn't received the Ten Commandments yet. And so in the middle of this beautiful song, they kind of sing a thing that is proclaiming that they they believed in other gods. What do we do with that? I want to give you a little bit of encouragement here. They might have had a flawed idea of who God was because God spends the entire book of Exodus trying to teach them that there is only one God. That's kind of the point of the whole book. So don't be discouraged when you see these people and they are basically proclaiming idols here. Don't be discouraged because that's the point of the book. God is trying to teach them away from the Egyptian ways. But in the middle of all that, even though they didn't get it, they didn't understand, they didn't understand who God was, they still praised him anyway. And the encouragement that we can get from that is comfort in knowing that we don't have to understand everything perfectly in order to worship God. We don't have to have it all right. We don't have to understand every little piece of the Bible. We don't have to understand how the Trinity works and all that stuff in order to sing praises to God. That stuff will come later. That's what the church is for. That's what our Bible studies are for. We will learn those things, but in the meantime, God still wants us to sing to him. He still wants us to praise him. All of those big fancy Bible words we use, you know, justification and sanctification and all those big Asians. You don't need to understand any of that in order to pour your heart out to God to worship him. I have a, I have a close friend who, as a child, he, he experienced some, some brain trauma, some head trauma. And so as a result, he's not always on the same level as everyone when we're having conversations. He's an amazing guy, sweetest heart, but you just can't talk to him about complicated things. He's just not at that level. I honestly don't even know if he's actually 
ever read the Bible. I don't even know if he's at the point where he could even read scripture. I've never seen him read scriptures. I can't say I don't know if he has or not. But because but, he's just not on that level. He's, he just unfortunately can't think about things that are really complicated like that. And what's, what's, what's amazing, though, is, is, is I'll be having conversations with him and, and I'll bring up something in scripture or we get to talking about something in the Bible and I'll, I'll try and explain things on his level a little bit and he'll just shake his head and go, you know, I don't know about all that stuff. I don't know about any of that stuff, but I know God's my friend. And I like to talk to my friends. I like to spend time with my friends. I like to sing songs with my friends. I don't know about all that fancy stuff that you just said, but God's my best friend, and so I like to do all the things with God that I like to do with my best friend because he always takes care of me. And usually that's the point in which I have to stop myself from choking up, and I'll usually just close this. And I'll say, yeah, I like to sing with my friends too. I like to talk with my friends. I like to hang out with my friends too. And God's a really good friend, isn't he? Because he gets it. He doesn't understand 90% of the things that's in this book. But when he sings to God, he has a relationship with him and he understands God at that level. And, and honestly, the guy, when he sings, he's not a very good singer. I'm trying to just be honest. Like he misses half the notes. He's off key. I don't even know if he gets the words right half the time. But you know what? He's got a smile on his face because he knows that he is singing with his best friend. You don't need to know it all. You don't need to understand everything. You don't need to have it all right and figured out in order to sing with your best friend. Just sing. Let God lead you in worship. Because we have a God who leads us. We have a God who guides us and directs us. Take a look at, take a look at verse 17 in our song here. It says, they're singing to God and they say, You will bring them in and you will plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands have established. This line in the song is a, is a declaration by these people that they are going to let God lead their lives. It was a, it's a declaration of submission to God. And I don't mean submission as in um, submission to authority, though that, that is important. The kind of submission that they were submitting to God was this, this release. God, pick me up and plant me on the mountain. Just move me. Do with me what you will. I submit to you. My life is yours. Lead me to the place where you declare your law to me. Because you're in charge of my life. You lead me. <coughs> When you worship God, when you sing to God, do you sing to him like he's in charge of your life? 
Do you sing to God with your whole heart? Because let me tell you something, he's the only one that's keeping it pumping. Do you sing to God with all the force you have in your lungs? Because let me tell you, he's the only one who put air in those lungs to begin with. Sing to God like he owns you, like he is in charge of your life. I want to take a look at what Paul says about our worship. This is in Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, da, 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 da. Colossians. There we go. My pages, my pages always stick together right here. So, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. I want to take a look at this verse. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How? Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And this is, this is the last point I kind of want to make about this. When it comes to how we worship. Paul specifically says, sing to him with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Or your Bible might say spiritual songs. But we have these three different psalms, hymns, and songs and they're, they're all slightly different. They're all songs to God, but they're all slightly different, aren't they? A psalm is a biblical song. It's something from the book of Psalms. That's pretty cut and dry. God wants us to sing the psalms to him. We have songs that we sing that are based off of the psalms. It's usually from the book of Psalms, but not always. There's a couple that they would consider to be a psalm that's not actually in the book of Psalms. That's neither here nor there. A hymn, on the other hand, is a little bit different. The way Paul's audience would have understood a hymn is it's not, it may or may not be biblical per se, but it's, it may or may not quote scripture, but there's a tradition behind it. It gives you a theological point. It really explains something about God. Um, they're, they're usually, they sing psalms, Acapella, they have no music behind them. The doxology is an example of a hymn um, for how the First Testament church would have thought about it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yeah, that's, that would be an example of a hymn based on how Paul would have understood it. It's something that's been passed down. It's something that teaches and admonishes. And then we have spiritual songs or songs from the Spirit. That's just a catch-all term for any other type of song that you use to praise God. It could have been a psalm or a hymn or a, a new song from Paul's point of view, which is really old for us now. That's okay. Maybe it's something spontaneous. Why, why is that important, though? Why is it important that Paul lists psalms, hymns, and songs? Because far too often I've noticed in, in churches... We fight over music. We argue over what's the right kind of music to play. And it actually becomes a sticking point for a lot of people. One person might say, I think we should only sing hymns because hymns are beautiful. And that's what I grew up with. And so we want to only sing hymns. 
And then you have this other person over here who says, yeah, well, I think we should only sing new songs because we're never going to get any new people if we don't sing new songs. And these people will argue over all of these things. I've been a part of congregations where whether or not we even have a piano is a big sticking point argument with people. I've even heard people argue over whether or not it's appropriate to clap while you're singing. That's how much we get into the weeds over those things. We get, we get caught up in the details of what we think we should sing, and we're missing the point. What's Paul saying here? Sing to the Lord. Sing them all. Let the message of Christ dwell among you. Sing the psalms, sing the hymns, sing the songs for the Spirit, sing them all. And how does he say we're supposed to sing them? With a cheerful heart, with gratitude in our hearts. I don't care if you're singing the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Yeah, I see you do like that. Yes. I don't care if you're singing that. Sing it like you're grateful that you just have the opportunity to stand before God and sing to him. Sing like God is your personal savior. Sing like he is the warrior who battled your Egyptians and led you through the sea. Sing even if you don't understand all of the parts of the Bible. Sing with gratitude in your hearts. And I want to read Colossians 3 and 17, the very next verse. And I want to end on that because I want us to actually get a chance to sing to God. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in work, or excuse me, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. I want us to take a moment. I want us to pray to God. I want us to thank him for the opportunity we have to praise and worship him. And then I want to spend the rest of our time here at church praising God and worshiping him. Can we do that? All right. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we love you. We, we love that you're our personal Savior. We love that you rescued us, God. We love that you fight for us. And honestly, God, we don't have much to give back to you in return. We don't have much to give you. In fact, we don't really have anything that we can give you that you don't already have. So at this time, God, we just want to give you the best we have, and that's a song to you. We want to just give you the air in our lungs. And we just ask that we ask that you would sing with us, that you would sing over us as well, Lord. We just thank you that you give us the chance to even sit before you and serenade you, God. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So because we're a little bit out of order, I'm going to sing our invitation song.